our watchmen and you have called us to stand upon our watch on this earth to keep at a distance the things that are harming the church and to be a protective force for your people. So we thank you. We love you. We bless you. And we praise you for that in Jesus name. Amen and praise God. Amen. 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 So we're going to talk again about the persecuted church. I had a little more information for you. One of the reasons I think this is uh, so important and the Lord has put it on my heart to do it is because there are so many <clears throat> countries where Christians are persecuted. And so we I know we have prayers for protection against persecution and uh, there's but there are different aspects to it that I think we need to understand. And one of the things we need to understand is the extent of persecution in the earth how persecuted Christians uh, feel. We're, we're tending to see more things in the news about Christians who are being jailed for their faith. And uh, <clears throat> that's something we haven't really experienced in this country. But there is a momentum growing, an anti-Christian momentum growing in this nation and in the Western Hemisphere, you know, in Europe. And in other places, uh, uh, South America, places where you really never saw it before, we're beginning to see more instances of persecution and imprisonment and even murder and martyrdom of Christians. And so we have to be uh, even more vigilant. We can't just watch it happen and do nothing, not take notice of it. So I thought I would share some things with you and we'll pray again for the persecuted church Uh, before we're done and just allow the Lord to lead us in this because I think it's time for us to uh, be more vigilant about this and be more ready if we lose the gospel we're lost you know we're lost people and if we lose the momentum that the gospel has always had in the earth uh, we're not really serving the Lord the way he ordained for us to do it so um, I'm going to share some things with you and show a little film clip of you know testimony about a person who was persecuted for their faith and and uh, so we'll get a good picture of what is going on in the earth today and what god wants us to do about it uh in psalms 119 157 it says many are my persecutors and mine enemies yet do i not decline from thy testimonies So this kind of gives you a capsule of why we're persecuted so that we can depart from serving God. We can quit preaching, quit giving our testimony. So he says here, but I do not decline from thy testimonies. So the thing that we have to be ever careful about is Psalm 119, 157. We have to be ever careful about is the way we respond to persecution and uh, it comes in very subtle ways to begin like in this country people will start to mock you and make fun of you uh, when you start sharing God's word for instance if uh, you know somebody is sick or has cancer and, and oh you know they're going to die there's no hope for them if you speak up and say well, well Jesus still wants to heal them do they want to be healed we'll pray for them they want to laugh at you for praying for the sick that's one aspect of persecution because what they're trying to do is talk you down from your position they're trying to get you to take your words back uh, they're hoping ridicule will do it 
if ridicule doesn't do it, then they go another step. Now in this country, they're enacting laws that will cause us to not freely share the gospel with people who are really in danger of going to hell. I mean, they really will meet um, meet judgment when they leave this life if they don't repent. And so instead of us having an open door to share Christ and share our testimony and the things that have helped us in life, we're told that we are fostering hate, we're told that we are being judgmental, and we are told that uh, what they're, what's going on in their lives really is none of our business. We have no right to speak up in these things. Well, my feeling is everybody has an opinion. And if you go around a table, people can freely share their opinion as long as it measures up with the world standard of what is supposed to be done. When it doesn't measure up with the world standard, then you're mocked and you're ridiculed uh, for your stand. And so we as believers must be ever sober and vigilant to go ahead and speak God's word no matter who doesn't like it, no matter the reaction it gets. It's always going to get some reaction, negative or positive. Somebody's going to be encouraged by it and or somebody may be offended by it. Well, it's okay. Offenses will come. And we will be we will offend people, the devil's people, if we speak out God's word and try to give a person hope even in the midst of their difficulties. And so when we start to preach the gospel, we need to understand that we're not responsible for people's reaction to our words. Amen. Uh, preaching is something that's done by unction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that's stirring up <clears throat> your voice to speak. He's the one who empowers your words. And whenever we use the power of God on this earth, the God of this world is going to have a reaction to it. He's not going to like it. He's going to try and shut it down. He's going to try and oppose it. And so instead of us being intimidated, we need to do what the early church did and ask God for more boldness. Give me more of what you gave me the first time because I got a reaction that wasn't good. I want to get a reaction where they will receive my words and they will receive you. And so when we come up against this type of response to God's word, we have to know that we have a counter response that we must give and we must stick with what we said. You can't take it back. You can't modify it and you can't apologize for it. Uh, you know, I've heard people sometimes apologize. Well, I didn't mean to offend you. It's not you that's doing the offending. See, it's, it's God. I don't think any of us are that smart and that slick to overpower God's word and offend somebody when God didn't cause that. You understand what I'm saying? You're not causing the offense. And this is one thing we have to be settled on as Christians. Whenever you speak truth, uh, the enemy will be offended. There are people who will just refuse to renounce Christ. And it causes a, a wild reaction in the people who are trying to get them to take back their words. Now why does the enemy want us to take back our words? Well, when the devil sees, he knows... That the more we're allowed to speak, the more we can convince people that he's a liar and that God is true. And he does not want to lose ground with people. He does not want the atmosphere to change. 
so that we will have more power of God in the atmosphere. He doesn't want so he's trying to stop the advance of the kingdom of heaven down here on earth. And if he can stop it, the only way he can stop it is to make us quit preaching the gospel. That's why he's always messing with your finances, messing with your health, messing with your kids, messing with your money. Anything to get you to stop and consider yourself so that you don't focus on your assignment here. And that is to win souls, preach the gospel, allow God to confirm his word with signs following. If if that stops, then he's won. If that continues, he's a loser. And so persecution comes to stop the advance of God's kingdom and, of course, the, the uh, demolishing of his. Now, for every soul that's won, the angels in heaven rejoice, and then hell has a heart attack because they've lost another soul to God. And so this is the warfare. This persecution comes to intimidate us, to stop us from speaking. So it's your words that are getting you into trouble, But it's also your words that will keep you alive and keep you in God's favor. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can only destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy your body and throw you into hell eternally. So you, you fear the one who has the eternal power. And just keep praying and keep believing God and keep doing what God's called you to do. So, uh, But in Matthew 5.11, Jesus also teaches that there is a blessing there for us when we are persecuted. So let me find that. It's Matthew 5.11. And he tells us how to proceed when we're persecuted. And this is very, very important that we follow his instruction. It says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Falsely. Amen. So this is a lie that's being made up against you and it's for the sake of the gospel. Now, there are some times where we're doing things wrong and people are telling the truth on us. He's not talking about that. You know, because I know we're all innocent all the time. We never do anything wrong. You know what I'm saying? So he's not talking about defending yourself. He's talking about when you go out and obey him and do what he has commanded you to do. If that gets you into trouble, he says there's a blessing in it for you. And he says... Because uh, it shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. You've stirred something up in other words. You've done what I told you to do. You got the reaction that normally happens when I put my words into your mouth. And he says if they hated me they're going to hate you. A servant is not above his master. So you're not going to be able to breeze through this life preaching the gospel and not suffer some kind of backlash for it. But he said to rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. So for so persecuted they the prophets which came before you. So here you have the prophets reward when you go out and declare the word of the Lord and people persecute you for your words. And so he says to rejoice and be exceeding glad. In another passage, he says to pray for those 
which persecute you and despitefully use you. And so we're to forgive people. We are to pray for them. Pray for them to receive what you said. Pray for their hearts to be softened. Pray for God to touch their hearts and touch their minds with the truth. To let them out of that prison of unbelief and fear and all of the things that keep men bound and keep them uh, from, from receiving Christ. Uh, I was kind of amused and I, I was thinking about it. I told Pastor Shirley, I said, you know, God is really doing something in the earth and doing something with with the lost right now. Um, I'm sensing that there is more of an anointing to win the lost than ever before. I know uh, uh, Alicia has been praying diligently for a family. I know all of you, we've all agreed that our whole household be saved. I do remember that in one of our meetings that uh, God told us to agree with Alicia that every and encourage her that all of her family would be saved. And so uh, her sister came uh, last Sunday to the service. And I think while she was sitting there, uh, Alicia was telling her she should come up for prayer. She had something coming up that was very important for her and she needed prayer in it. And uh, she kept telling Alicia, what did she say? She said, I'm not going Wait a minute, she said, I'm not going to go up for prayer. Oh, well, she said, I'm not getting saved. That's what she kept telling her. She said, I'm not getting saved. I'll go up there. I'm not. And then she never came up for prayer. So uh, before the, the day was over, they were doing some packing and stuff. She was, so she had to wait for her sister. So I asked her if she wanted to come in and talk to me. And so she didn't know how to refuse, so she came in. And, and uh, every time I looked at her, she was weeping. You know, and, and I just explained the gospel real simple to her. And Pastor Shirley uh, explained some too. And, and so at the end of it, she received Jesus as her Savior. You understand what I'm saying? And so even though she wasn't getting saved, she got saved, you see. So, you know, people have one thing in their mind. God has something else in mind. Uh, same thing with somebody the week before. Who was that the week before that we prayed for? Who was it? Yeah, was it at the car wash, somebody? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl that kept coming there. We need to turn that off. The girl who kept coming, she came, she was there Friday when Sheree was putting out the flyers. Yeah, then she came to the car wash, and then she showed up Sunday. You know, and sat there and wept the whole time. And I said to myself, I said, well, I'm not a sad person. I'm usually pretty, I'm pretty upbeat. But that's the weepings of God. That's the breaking of your, your flesh, you know, where, where repentance comes upon you. And that's a good thing to say because, uh, you know, you get tired of seeing the people to just pray to prayer and go back sinning again. So you want to see that true conversion where God really breaks and they, amen, and they ask. They understand what they're doing. They understand how they're praying. We're not rushing them into something. And so, you know, and that's a true salvation. So when that anointing increases like that, that means that it's going to be easy to get people saved, folks. It's going to be easy. <clears throat> and we need more power, don't we? Yeah. It's never, never too much power of God released to us uh, to get our jobs done. So we are to pray for those who persecute us and despitefully use us as well. In Acts 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12 and verse 1, 
says, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain people in the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So this is persecution. When they get jailed, when they are murdered just to, to prove a point, you know, where life, a life doesn't mean anything to someone. Um, that, that persecution comes in the church really to destroy the church and to keep us weak and to keep us fearful, uh, to get us to fear for our lives. And I'm so thankful that when people are persecuted, that they understand that God is with them. There is a special grace that falls upon you uh, during times of persecution where God will enable you to withstand and continue to stand for what, uh, what you are standing for. And that is him as the king of kings and lord of lords and savior of all humanity. So I thought I would <clears throat> go over some things uh, about persecution and about uh, what we need to be aware of as believers. And when you see things, say, like some of you who are on Facebook, when you see some of these things being mentioned about uh, persecuted Christians, you know, write down some names and uh, continue to pray for people because it's, it's your prayers that are going to, you know, sometimes people under the gun cannot pray as effectively sometimes as those who are not. I don't know, but we all need to join in because we are one body and one family. So anyway, this is from a uh, <clears throat> ministry called Open Doors USA. And Open Doors, uh, I'll tell you some about the history of that. I think I'll go there first. <clears throat> it says about us. So what is Open Doors USA? Open Doors is a nonprofit organization focused on serving persecuted Christians in more than 60 countries through Bible and gospel development that's distributing Bibles, Bible study, evangelism training. So they're not just hiding out people who are running. They're fighting back by causing more Christians to be born again. Christian literature distribution, teaching, and seminars. Women and children advancement. In many countries where Christians are persecuted, women and children are also casualties. They're not uh, looked out for. They're not treated well. So they have support for persecuted orphans, women's literacy training, evangelism training, microloans for women. So if a woman needs to be able to make a living for her family, they will loan them money and job training. Christian community restoration, rebuilding churches and homes. So if a church has been burned or it's been destroyed, they go in and rebuild those churches. They don't sit there, wring their hands and just be glad nobody died or something like that. They rebuild. They get it right back going again. Social and economic support, refugee support for persecuted Christians. What is persecution and how many Christians experience it? Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian, beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination in education and employment, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution they experience on a daily basis. 
According to the Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions. And many of these people are Christians. Also, according to the United States Department of State, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> How was Open Doors started? The year was 1955. A young Dutchman was burdened with the desire to reach out to Christians in Eastern Europe where Christianity was becoming more and more illegal. See, Eastern Europe, like Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, places like that, um, was m more and more illegal. See, those are areas where Muslims started to come in. He took his first trip to visit Christians in Poland and was amazed at what he saw. Entire underground churches with only one Bible to share. Brother Andrew knew he had to do something. Two years later, he arrived at the same border in a VW bug filled with Bibles. He knew that if he was caught with the Bibles, he would be arrested. So he prayed, Lord, in your word, you made blind men see. Now I'm praying that you would make seeing eyes blind. Amen. And God answered his prayer. <clears throat> Brother Andrew was able to deliver Bibles and training materials to Christians in Eastern Europe, allowing Christians to freely read God's word in those countries. Today, Open Doors, the ministry started by Brother Andrew, has expanded to strengthen persecuted Christians in over 60 countries. Why does Open Doors focus on persecuted Christians? When Open Doors was started by Brother Andrew in 1955, he felt a calling from God to minister to fellow Christians who were persecuted for their faith. As a result, Open Doors has specialized in helping Christians who are persecuted for their faith. However, we work with persecuted Christians to reach out to non-Christians, even to their persecutors, so that they can reach them with the message of Christ. Their statement of faith, we are part of the body of Christ, a people to people, uh, a people to people people. We are persecuted church driven. We are people of the Bible. We are people of prayer. We live and work by faith. We are devoted to Jesus Christ and his commission. We are motivated solely for the glory of God. See, you don't have any mega nothing here. You know, you just have people touching people, touching people. And that's the way Jesus did things. Open Doors USA's board of directors. Well, they give those. We don't need to know those. But that's about Open Doors. Let me see if I got anything off of that one. Amen. All right. So this is about Christian persecution. Each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. Each month, 215 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. Each month, 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages. What is Christian persecution? Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian, from verbal harassment to hostile feelings, attitudes, and actions, Christians in areas with severe religious restrictions pay a heavy price for their faith. Beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, 
imprisonment, slavery, discrimination, and in education and employment, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution they experience on a daily basis. Um, Where does Christian persecution occur? The World Watch List, which we'll look at that, and we'll we'll probably add that to our uh, prayer, that little graph we're going to show, ranks the top 50 countries where Christians face the greatest persecution. See what life is like for persecuted Christians in each of these countries. Why persecution occurs. Authoritarian governments seek to control all religious thought and expression. Authoritarian. See, we're supposed to live in really a republic, but it's a democracy. But we see now our government's enacting laws to silence Christianity. So we have an authoritarian element in our government. Takes place under authoritarian. In the case of North Korea and other communist countries. Well, Lou Howard, can you put that graph up there? You can put that up there now, I think, because this does refer to that that list. Yeah, thank you. So you'll be able to see the rating. They rate and rank countries according to the amount of persecution. Yeah, that's the world watch list. I think if you scroll a little bit, you'll be able to get um, all of it. What do you think? Okay. See, you see North Korea is at the top of the list. And they rank them uh, 92 out of 100 is North Korea. Somalia's next. Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Sudan, Iran. Pakistan, Eritrea, and that's over in this part of the hemisphere, I think. I think it's Central South America, Nigeria, Maldives, Saudi Arabia, Libya, Yemen, Uzbekistan, Vietnam. All of these countries in in the um, uh, Far East and also in Africa, North Korea heads the list. In the case of North Korea and other communist countries, Authoritarian governments seek to control all religious thought and expression as part of a comprehensive plan to control all aspects of political and civic life. These governments regard some religious groups as enemies of state because they hold religious beliefs that may challenge loyalty to the rulers. It was the same thing in uh, Jesus' day. They were always accusing him of trying to overthrow Caesar. Remember, do you pay taxes? Oh, well, Caesar's, that's Caesar's money. You know, do you give to Caesar? So it was always something because when the gospel comes in, it gathers a lot of attention. It gathers a lot of good support from people who are being helped by God. And so it's a threat to any government when people have the freedom to worship and freedom to believe people who don't like um, any kind of difference of opinion, any kind of dissent, they will come in to, to kill that. And, and, you know, one of the ways that's done in this country is through the political correctness. You can't say certain things. Uh, you can't verbalize uh, certain things. I was uh, listening. Somebody was saying that um, uh, there are some comedians that were saying that they hate uh 
playing to younger crowds. And they said, you can't make jokes around these young people. They tell you they don't laugh. They say it's not politically correct. It'll offend somebody. You know, just normal human humor. So even even humor is being uh, taken away from people, you know, as a result of what they want to say is political correctness. They don't want to offend anybody. All of that. Hostility towards non-traditional and minority religious groups. Another reason why Christians are persecuted is hostility towards non-traditional and minority religious groups. For example, in Niger, more than 98% of the population is Islamic. And hostility comes more from society than from government. Historically, Islam in West Africa has been moderate, but in the last 20 years, dozens of Islamic associations have emerged, like the Azala movement, which aims to restrict the freedom of deviant Muslims and minority religious groups like Christians. So you see there's infighting in some of these groups that generally fight Christians. Lack of basic human rights. The lack of basic human rights is another significant part of persecution in some countries. For instance, in Eritrea, there are violations of the freedom of expression, assembly, and religious belief and movement, in addition to extrajudicial killings, enforced disappearances, extended detention, torture, and indefinite national service, which caused many Eritreans to flee the country. Freedom of religion, like all freedoms of thought and expression, is inherent. In other words, a government can't give it to you and a government doesn't take it away. It just comes with the package of being a human being. Our beliefs help define who we are and serve as a foundation for what we contribute to our societies. However, today many people live under governments that abuse or restrict freedom of religion. Christians in such areas suffer deeply and are denied basic freedoms that humans should be entitled to. In 1948, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This declaration came as a result of the treatment of the Jews in Nazi Germany. The document states that every person is entitled to basic human rights. This affirmed the dignity and worth of all human beings, no matter what persons, what a person's race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth or other status. In 1966, the United Nations developed the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights. In addition to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and Article 18 of the ICCPR, focuses on four elements of religious freedom. One, everyone shall have the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. So when it's freedom of conscience, what that means is that if it disturbs your inner peace to marry people, two people of the same sex, you should be free to do that. In fact, they state that you are free to deny certain things that prick your conscience. For instance, for instance, Quakers have always been exempt from military service because and they live out a life of nonviolence. So they don't just jump up one day and say, we, oh, we can't go to war because we're nonviolent and there's never been any evidence of it before. The same thing with us as Christians. We've always stood for the Bible, you know, the real Christians among us. 
And so anything that the, that is included in the word of God is respected by Christianity. And so we should be allowed the freedom to have our conscience not defiled by being forced to do something that violates your conscience. That's that's never never allowed. This right shall include freedom to have or adopt a religion or belief of his choice and freedom either individually or in community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in worship, observance, practice, and teaching. So if it bothers your conscience to go to to work on Sunday, you have to find a job where they don't require you to work or just ask them to exempt you from working on Sunday because that's a violation of your religious conscience. You know what I'm saying? And so he says, no one shall be subject to coercion, which would impair his freedom to have or adopt a religion or belief of his choice. You have the right to choose how you believe. Freedom to manifest one's religion or beliefs may be subject only to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary to protect public safety, order, health, or morals, or the fundamental rights and freedoms of others. The state's parties to the present covenant undertake to have respect for the liberty of parents and, when applicable, legal guardians to ensure the religious and moral education of their children in conformity with their own convictions. So see this business of teaching children about uh, homosexual sex when they're in grade school is a violation of your right as a parent to determine the moral uh, conscience of your own children. The same thing with giving children contraception without the parent's permission. That is a violation of your moral conscience to govern over your own children. And so if they keep pressing it, bring your kids home and homeschool them. You understand what I'm saying? Just bring them home because that's better than keeping them in a place where they'll be morally corrupted. And then you, you, you'll be having jazz in your house. That, that little boy girl they got on television. You understand what I'm saying? You don't want that. You know, I think it's a shame the parents allowed that child to, to be a transgender and he's just a kid. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's an abomination. The kid, the parents need to be prosecuted. <clears throat> but they have a right to their own conscience. You know what I'm saying? Why we serve persecuted Christians. The Bible calls us to be a voice for the voiceless. Psalm 82, 3 says, stand up for those who are weak and for those whose fathers have died. See to it that those who are poor and those who are beaten down are treated fairly. As Christians, we are called to take a stand for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews 13, 3 says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. Theology of Christian persecution, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And we read that one. For almost 60 years, Open Doors has worked in the world's most oppressive countries, empowering Christians who are persecuted for their beliefs. These believers stand strong despite the many obstacles that they face. What are some of the things that we can learn from their faith? There's something about hardship that allows us to know God deeply. Uh, I know when I hurt, I press in. When I have lack, I press in. You know, that is just that way. <clears throat> when times get really tough, 
We discover more about who God is and how he works. Christians who have endured persecution for their faith know this as well. There are no easy answers for why God allows his followers to face suffering. However, the lives of persecuted Christians reveal that even when things look out of control, believers can rest secure knowing that God is still in control. He is able to give courage, peace, and even joy to stand strong through the storm. It is through these storms that believers discover God's love in new and powerful ways. Standing strong through the storm is the curriculum that Open Doors uses to help Christians stand strong in the face of persecution. You see, there's nothing here to rescue them. There's nothing here to get them out of where they are necessarily unless it's facing death and it can be avoided. But there is a support and a strengthening of people through difficulties. Now, for people in our country is, you know, somebody threatening to repossess your car. That's our stressor. But and we always encourage one another to pray through and, and stand and God's going to come through. Just don't give up, you know, keep going. Well, with them, it's they're facing uh, threats to their physical security and safety. It's a little bit more closer to to the end, but they are able to stand strong and encourage one another. <clears throat> so standing through. Um, let me see. Standing strong through the storm is the curriculum that Open Doors uses to help Christians stand strong in the face of persecution. So it's a little uh, curriculum they teach them how to resist uh, uh, caving in and how to stand in in faith with God and how to uh, lean on God for their support. There are six theological and biblical lessons from this curriculum. Number one, sometimes you need to build yourself a cell. C-E-L-L. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. One Chinese church leader who spent 23 years, 23 years in prison, once said this to Christians who did not face persecution. He said this, I was pushed into a cell, but you have to push yourself into one. You have no time to know God. You need to build yourself a cell. So that you can do for yourself what persecution did for me. Simplify your life and know God. It is vital that we spend time with God to grow in him so we are prepared to stand strong in the face of persecution. Number two, God keeps secrets. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. There have been countless stories of persecuted Christians who have died without seeing the fruits of their labor. However, God, God knows all that, that has been and that is to come. Our labor is not in vain. It is in his hands. Number three, weakness is a path to power. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10 An Egyptian Christian reflected on the way he was treated when he converted to Christ. He says this, In great suffering you discover a different Jesus than you do in normal life. Pain and suffering bring up to the surface all the weak points of your personality. In my weakest state, I had an incredible realization that Jesus loved me even right then. 
True empowerment does not come from human means, but through Christ alone. It often takes being at our weakest point to realize this. Number four, overcoming is greater than deliverance. I'm going to say it again. Overcoming is greater than deliverance. Amen. I remember when we were kids, if some kid picked on you and picked on you, uh, mother would get upset with us if we ran from and came home. She said, you better stay down there and fight them. And she would make you fight to show you that you had nothing to be afraid of. You overcame instead of gotten delivered. Amen. Now, she could have hid us in the house and been all protective and everything. But no, she knew we had the power to overcome this ourselves. And it's better for you to find your strength than to always run from the devil. And he says, persecuted Christians, no matter what country they are from, do not ask us to pray that persecution would end. Isn't that amazing? They never ask them to pray for that. But rather ask us to pray that they stand strong through the persecution. Now, there is a place where believers understand how it's an honor for them to suffer as Christ did. You see what I'm saying? That's that's the way they see it. And that's scriptural. And that's correct. See, American and Western people know very little about that. You know, to us being persecuted is not having our paycheck on time. You know, I know the devil did this to upset me. You know, I'm saying that kind of stuff. So but but we're knowing it more and more. See, right, in this country, it's creeping up on us in a very subtle fashion, and then it's going to hit in a wave. And we're going to have to learn how to stand strong in the Lord and not cave in, because there are other people watching you. God is depending on you to trust him through these difficult times, and we're going to have to start doing that kind of stuff. And it says, overcoming is greater than deliverance. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. See, many times we just want to get even with people, you know. We go plot and they just hate us. Uh, yeah, when I want my haters to be in church when God bless me, you know, that kind of. That's nonsense compared to what these people go through. This is real persecution here. So they don't ask them to pray that it would end, but rather ask us to pray that they stand strong through it. They do not wish to be delivered from the persecution, but rather ask us to pray that they would be able to overcome trials that they are facing in a way that is honoring to God. So they consider an honor to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Extreme hurt requires extreme forgiveness. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Luke twenty-three thirty-four. A Christian widow from Iran said this. I only had hatred in my heart for my enemies who had murdered my husband. But one day a miracle happened. God taught me how to love my enemies. I had been praying for this even though on the deepest level I didn't want it to happen. Isn't that amazing? God just honors your what, whatever level of faith you have in your obedience. He will honor that and help you. She said, <clears throat> gradually through a process of ups and downs, God answered this prayer. The only way we can get through extreme hurt is forgiving people as Christ did. Prayer is the ultimate fellowship. Prayer is the ultimate fellowship with God. Isn't that something? You know, I want to encourage you all, keep your prayer time. Keep your fellowship with God. Because that's very important. No, never put that off and 
think it's okay not to pray. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. But that is the ultimate fellowship with God. And God desires fellowship. You know, if you keep putting it off when you can do it voluntarily, you may get to the point where you can do nothing but pray and cry out to God. It says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Hebrews 13.3 Many persecuted Christians often feel isolated and alone since they are unable to fellowship with other believers. However, prayers from Christians half a world away have brought the same amount of encouragement that fellowship would have had for those persecuted Christians. So when we pray... God is able to encourage somebody who's alone or suffering by themselves and not even aware that anybody knows about their plight. So always pray for the persecuted church. So we're going to do more of that and be more given over to it. In your time at home when you uh, are worshiping God or or meditating on the scriptures, just say a, a prayer for somebody who's in bondage. Lord, somebody who's being tortured or mistreated, would you pre- please give them comfort, give them safety, give them what they're crying out for. <clears throat> Persecuted Christians and Christians in the free world are not two separate entities, but rather we are one body. The persecuted church needs the free church to support them and most importantly to lift them up in prayer. The church in the free world learns lessons from the persecuted who has stood strong in the face of persecution. Christ is the head of the body and uses the church both free and persecuted in unique and powerful ways. So Lil Howard you want to play that testimony for me? We already saw the watch list. Um... I'm trying to think. If we sent this to you like in an email or something, the list of all the the, the uh, countries and the most persecuted ones, would that be helpful to you just to, for you have something to reference it with? Okay, because that's easier than printing off paper and we just stick paper in different places and don't really do much with it sometimes. But um, there is a testimony I wanted to share with you. Um, Shannon, do you remember which section that was in oh okay all right so we've we've uh, talked about the introduction there's a testimony on here about a uh, a young woman who was persecuted so we're going to watch that Hallowed be thy name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's power in the name of Jesus. Take the third commandment, for example. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. For years, I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, but I stumbled across a simple but incredible realization because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value, 
It's the moment in time I realise that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it at church. How much value, how much worth do you place on the name of Jesus? As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was the son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshipping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room months the only way Susan survived was that while her father was out her brother would dig a hole under the door he would pour water into it for Susan to lap up on occasion he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister after about three months the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother he told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she'd been sitting. And she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital, where they began to rehabilitate her. When Susan was asked, why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat. Without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I would be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind. This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith driven by a passion for God that realises not only to be in relationship with him, but to be able to call on his name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan wouldn't. God, amen. Kind of sobering, isn't it? 
<clears throat> is very sobering. Some of the things that we do in this country as Christians makes you wonder what we're doing sometimes, you know, if we're really serious about the things of God. It's very heartbreaking. It is. You know, it's worth shedding a tear over. But she seemed very happy there. You know, she's walking on crutches, doesn't have use of her legs. Uh, when she was pulled out of there, she weighed, uh, I think, 20 kilos is more like 50 pounds or something like that. Very, very emaciated. But God rescued her, you know, so that she could live to tell her testimony. Amen. Amen. We need, you know what, when we get upset that we don't have the best job that we could have or we don't have the best clothes or best shoes, you know, we need to feel some conviction because there are people that are fighting for their very life and existence and safety and all of those things that we, you know, we really take for granted. So I'm praying that just by us being aware of this and praying for it more, it will sober us up a little bit to start to identify more uh, with persecuted Christians and, and know we can help them and know we can endeavor to help them and not just listen to it as a testimony and feel a little emotional for a minute and not take it any further. We can definitely pray for them. And whatever else God tells us to do, we're going to do that too. Amen. 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 And we said prayer is the ultimate fellowship. Many persecuted Christians often feel isolated and alone since they are unable to fellowship with other believers. However, prayers from Christians half a world away have brought the same amount of encouragement that fellowship would have for these persecuted Christians. Prayer is vital, not only as a direct line to God, but as a way to encourage our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. So your prayers encourage them. So never underestimate what your prayers can do for individuals who are persecuted. 1 Corinthians 12:26 tells us that we are one body. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member is lifted up, we all rejoice. Persecuted Christians and Christians in the free world are not two separate entities, but are one body. The persecuted church needs a free church to support them and most importantly to lift them up in prayer. The church in the free world learns lessons from the persecuted who have stood strong in the face of persecution. Christ is the head of the body and uses the church, both free and persecuted, in unique and powerful ways. So in those countries where persecution is kind of the norm, God is using their persecution to bring others to him. So since Jesus is the head of the church, we need to let him do his job and let him do what uh, he has ordained to do with each of us in our specific <clears throat> sphere. Persecution of Christians reached historic levels in 2014. Will 2015 be worse? From imprisonment to torture to beheadings, more Christians worldwide live in fear for their lives than at any time in the modern era. That's the message from Open Doors USA, which released its annual World Watch list, which we saw on the screen on Wednesday, January 7th. Christian persecution reached historic levels in 2014 with approximately 100 million Christians around the world facing possible dire consequences <clears throat> for merely practicing their religion, according to the report. If current trends persist, many believe 2015 could be even worse. 
In regions where Christians are being persecuted as central targets, the trends and issues we track are expanding, said David Curry, president of Open Doors, a nonprofit that aids persecuted Christians in the most oppressive countries and ranks nations based on the severity of persecution. North Korea tops Open Doors list as the worst oppressor of Christians for the 13th consecutive year. But the list is dominated by African and Middle Eastern nations. Iraq, which experienced the mass of displacement Christians from its northern region, ranked third. Syria's fourth due to the reign of ISIS in that war-torn region. Nigeria ranked tenth due in part to the more than 1,000 Christians murdered or kidnapped by terrorist groups such as Boko Haram. Also included in the top ten are Somalia, Afghanistan, Sudan, Iran, Pakistan, and Eritrea. Even though some Christian majority nations are experiencing unprecedented levels of discrimination and oppression, Curry said Muslim extremists are the primary drivers of Christian persecution worldwide. This is the case in 40 of the 50 nations on this year's list. Ted Nettleton, a spokesman for Voice of the Martyrs, a global ministry serving persecuted Christians in oppressed nations, agreed with Curry that Muslim extremism is the main source of Christian oppression. Where there is, wherever there is growing Islamic radicalism, there is growing persecution of Christians, he said. Even where moderate Islamic states offer peace, and that is rare, they almost never have freedom to practice their faith and are often marked for death. Nina Shea, director of the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute, said Islamic extremism is not just rampant in rogue terror groups, but also in governments of nations such as Saudi Arabia and Egypt. This has foreign policy implications, which Shea said has contributed to a failure on the, on the part of the Obama administration to address the calamity adequately. Curry and Nettleton also expressed disappointment in the administration's response, but said they hope that the appointment of Rabbi David Saperstein as the State Department's ambassador at large for international religious freedom might signal a more aggressive approach. Conservatives criticized Obama for not filling the position sooner, and Saperstein's critics say the rabbi's liberal background may not bode well for his willingness to address global persecution aggressively. Regardless, Open Doors leader says something must be done to address the mounting persecution. The situation is reaching crisis levels. Christianity faces possible extinction in the Middle East and persecution is growing at alarming rates in Asia and Africa, he concluded. The 2015 watch list is a wake-up call to Western countries to protect religious freedom around the world. Okay. I'm going to read you this testimony about a woman called Asia Bibi, A-S-I-A-B-I-B-I. -I -I. Write her name down because she's been, uh, they've been threatening to put her to death and we need to really pray for her uh, to be released. It says, Asia Bibi, a wife and mother, she's about in her 50s. She looks very pretty and very young, though. She doesn't look her age. Uh, Use these words to defend her faith. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, quote, our Christ sacrificed his life on the cross for our sins. Our Christ is alive. She used these words to defend her faith against mocking co-workers who tried to make her convert to Islam. She was later convicted of blasphemy and sentenced to death. 
In Pakistan, more than 150,000 Christians have signed a petition demanding justice for persecution victims, including Asia. Now you can join with the Voice of the Martyrs and our Pakistani brothers and sisters in a call for mercy. We hope to gather together a million signatures on behalf of our sister Asia, who now sits in prison awaiting the Lahore High Court's ruling on her appeal, a case history. Asia Bibi, a Christian wife and mother in Pakistan, was arrested by police on June 9, 2009, and charged with blasphemy after she engaged in a religious discussion with co-workers. Many of the local women, including Asia, worked on the farm of a Muslim landowner, Muhammad Idris. Her family was one of only three Christian families in a village of more than 1,500 families. During their work, many of the Muslim women had pressured Asia to renounce Christianity and accept Islam. On June 19, 2009, there was an intense discussion among the women about their faith. The Muslim women told Asia about Islam, and according to the voice of the martyr sources, Asia responded by telling the Muslim women that Jesus is alive. Our Christ sacrificed his life on the cross for our sins. Our Christ is alive, she told them. Upon hearing this response, the Muslim women became angry and began to beat her. Then some men took her and locked her in a room. They announced from mosque loudspeakers that she would be punished by having her face blackened and being paraded through the village on a donkey. Local Christians informed the police who took her into protective custody before the Muslims could carry out their plan. Christians urged the police not to file blasphemy charges, but the police claimed they had to go forward because of pressure from local Muslim leaders. After a lengthy trial on November 8, 2010, Asia Bibi was sentenced to death by a judge. The judge also fined her $1,190, told her she had seven days to appeal the decision. Her attorneys filed the appeal promptly and now wait for the Lahore High Court to rule. If the appeal is rejected, she would be the first woman to be lawfully executed under Pakistan's blasphemy laws. She remains in prison waiting to hear the High Court's ruling. On January 4, 2011, the government of Punjab province, where Asia lives, was assassinated by a member of his security team. Though a Muslim, Salamar Tassir, had spoken out repeatedly in favor of pardon for Asia Bibi and for the reexamination of Pakistan's blasphemy laws. Governor Tassir also met with Asia in, in prison. On March 2, 2011, Shabazz Bhatti, the only Christian member of Pakistan's cabinet and another person who has spoken on behalf of Asia Bibi, was also assassinated for his support of her. The Voice of the Martyrs has supported Asia Bibi and her family since the time of her arrest. In July 2011, Voice of Martyrs lost uh, www.callformercy.com in an effort to gather a million signatures from around the world asking for Asia's release. So <clears throat> we'll, we'll um, call for mercy is where if you want to sign uh, the petition, you can sign up for that yourself on there. But we need to get involved in some of these things because it's it's remarkable in all the the aid that we send to Pakistan. You know, that's the crime of it all, because many times people have criticized our government 
for continuing to aid the Pakistani government and they uh, um, you know have been hiding Muslims and, and supporting them and all that kind of stuff but now we see that their laws need to be changed you know all we need to do is have somebody in our in our government who'll just stand up and say as long as you're killing people like that we're not sending you no money you understand what I'm saying it's just that simple and you don't have to be friends with people and they're not going to do anything. If they want your money, then they're going to have to obey some simple rules. And these are basic humanitarian rights that are being violated where people, you mean to tell me you can't call on your God's name so that you can talk to him? It's like a conversation you could have with a friend. You, you, you're not allowed to talk to your friend because the government doesn't want you to do it. So we really do have to stand strong in support of these things. And not just because persecution is, is increasing here, but it's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing for Christians to support other Christians, for us to sober up and understand, you know, we're really making up a lot of our own problems here. We don't have problems as believers. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, we have a far more, uh, we have far more freedom. Uh, we have it good. We have Bibles that we can read and don't read them. We have, uh, you know, prayers that we can pray very often and, and, you know, go to sleep instead of praying an extra prayer for somebody who's being persecuted. So I want everybody to just think about what little free time you may have between doing one thing or another. Just go before the Lord and thank him for your freedom here and thank him for that person who is being persecuted and thank him for coming to the aid and rescue of more persecuted people. Setting the right people in government so laws can be changed. Uh, you know, one of the things that's refreshing, I think, when people hear Donald Trump talk, he says, oh, I'll get Mexico to pay for it. I know how to do it. And they laugh at him, but he knows how to get a lot of things done that, that our government isn't getting done. Amen. So I'm sure he would know how to get Pakistan to release some of their laws and just cut the money off, you know, and, and make people understand that you're serious about this. You're not trying to be diplomatic and keep goodwill with a government that's killing people in violation of what you stand for on a moral basis. So, so we need to do that. So we're going to pray. If you want to pray in the spirit, I'll pray in the understanding. But we are going to pray for the persecuted church and then we'll receive the offering and we'll be finished. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in the earth. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand these things, Lord, you said that in this earth we should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Father, we come against this uh, worldwide persecution of believers. Father, we say that there are laws in effect in the earth that guarantee that people have freedom to express the dictates of their conscience, to worship their own God, to have prayer, to have uh, <clears throat> to study the Word of God, to have Bibles. That freedom of thought because man does not give us our freedoms. You give them to us. And Lord, we stand with those who serve you and call the name of Jesus as Lord. And we thank you, Father, that these people will be freed. Touch many, many persecuted Christians today. Right now, Jesus. Touch them with your hand of mercy. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know that there are others praying for them. Bring the faces of believers who are praying before those individuals 
as a prayer partner, that they, they would know they are not alone. We pray for Asia Bibi, and we just ask you, Lord, to cause the government in Pakistan to do an about-face. We thank you for these government people who stood up for her, Lord. We thank you that they were willing to give their lives for her, that they might speak out and speak on your behalf, Father. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for more people being raised up who will pray for these situations and will allow people to have the freedom to touch the hem of your garment, Jesus, so they can be free. They can be saved. They can be whole. They can be made whole. I thank you, Lord, that one of us can chase a thousand. Two of us can put 10,000 Muslim extremist devils to flight. We bind the spirit of Islam. We break its power of influence over the minds of, of liberal people, of liberal thought. We ask you to free up the minds of our legislators, of our president, of everybody who is sympathizing with the Muslim cause. Because little by little they're allowing it to spread and spread its venom and spread its persecution and spread its lies and spread its intimidation and its murder. And so, Lord, we just thank you to stop the murdering hand of Islam in this world. And we thank you, Lord, that people will not be intimidated into receiving Christ, but they'll have the freedom to receive you. Support the voice of the martyrs, Lord. Support the Open Doors ministry. Support them, Lord, with encouragement and strength and prayer as they have asked. We thank you, Lord, for those who are persecuted, that they are seeing that you are real. Be real to them today, Jesus. More than anything, reveal yourself to them as their Savior, their Lord, their Rescuer, as the one who really loves them, Lord. We thank you for that, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every tongue that rises up against them in judgment will be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is of you, and it will stand throughout eternity. And we thank you for that, Father. I pray for Christians in this nation that we would stop being so selfish, wanting for ourselves all the time only. Complaining about what we don't have and what we need from you. And fall on our face before you in humility. Receive our assignment and go forth conquering in your name. We are one body. And we feel for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. More than that, we want to pray for them. We want to support them. We want to be a help and an encouragement to them. That whatever they must endure, they will endure for righteousness' sake. Thank you that great is their reward in heaven. I thank you that great reward comes to those who are persecuted, not who make excuses for our stand and try to compromise on the word. I bind compromise and fear. I release your church in America from it. I release your European church from it. I release the Western Christian Church from compromise and fear in the name of Jesus. And we will encourage those and support those who speak out for your goodness and for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for blessing us to be one nation under God at all times. That we stand under your control, under your protection, 
under your authority and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise God. I think it's good for us to remind ourselves what somebody else's version of Christianity is. You know, it's not just faith and confessing the word for what you want and wanting more stuff from God. But it has to do with changed lives where people love Jesus more than they love anything. And uh, that's so hard to prove when you're encumbered about by so many things. It's always in your face about God and and those things. So it's good to to reflect on those individuals. So remember Asia Bibi. We'll pray for her uh, because her life is at stake and they've already taken the lives of two people who supported her. The devil's evil, folks. Uh, He means to steal, kill, and destroy. And whatever he can do to accomplish that, he will do it. But we will stand against that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So we're going to receive the offering. And then we'll start to pack up. Amen. We'll we'll be dismissed. Praise God. I, I hope. And you need to stay current. And that way, I know we all got Internet. We can all read ourselves. But many times that doesn't get it done. And, and so we want to do the job that God wants us to do and, and be thorough in it. So just bear with me during those times when it. You know, you just kind of sit and can't stay awake too well and that kind of stuff because it is important information. We need understanding of what we're dealing with. Amen. More than anything, we need understanding. And so as long as you understand what it is that we're up against, like, you know, I I didn't know how many countries uh, this ministry serviced, you know, and how much persecution there was in so many countries. The ones you hear about on the news are really just the tip of the iceberg, and it's not the full story. So we need to make sure we get the full story about things so we can pray effectively and we can know where we're going with it. So, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 So pray for the persecuted church. So you have your offering envelopes. Really, it would have been more appropriate for me to take the offering after the Amos 9.13 teaching this morning. But I just want to encourage you to give strong. You need to give strong all the time. Don't give. When I say strong, I mean something that pushes your faith. Um, Your usual whatever it is, add $5 to it. Strong. You know, strength increases an increment at a time, a little bit at a time. But you can be a free giver, a free receiver, and give strong. And especially during this week, when we have the offerings coming up, uh, we need to give strong there. More than likely, I'll ask people for pledges because we need pledges after we're done with the conference. We still have bills coming in uh, for things we pay the speakers first. But, you know, the venue has to be paid. If that doesn't all come through in the offerings during the meetings, we still have to be responsible for that. So we're believing God for great and mighty things. We're believing him to fill up every seat at every meeting. Amen. I know sometimes it sounds like we're not really believing that, but I am believing every seat, you know, and and, uh, that God will fill that place up, fill it up with his glory and meet every need that's represented there 
And the other thing is that for our flyers, uh, God has had me every day pray that he would bring people and let them take those flyers and let them be moved to come to the meeting. So we not only have to distribute them, but we got to pray for them to get up out of there and get in people's hands so that people would notice it, look at it and say, oh, what's this about? Well, I need to be healed or I want to see what this is about or I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. Whatever it is, we want to make sure that God's hand is on it from beginning to end and everything we believe God for will happen. Uh, For the first time, we have flyers in Toledo and uh, amen. And we have an ad in the local paper there. So we're believing God for uh, that city to start to to uh, understand the prophetic ministry a lot more. I don't think I know of any prophetic ministry in that. You might know of some, uh, Ingrid. I don't know of any, though, you know, real prophetic ministry. I don't know. There may be some. But, you know, when you hear about different areas where prophetic ministry is kind of accepted, you know, Detroit, of course, Cleveland, of course, we have a lot of prophets. Somehow prophets don't stay in Cleveland. They have to get out of there and run. <laughs> so they get chased out pretty easily. So uh, but anyway, we, we we know that God has his purpose. Sometimes he'll raise you up in a certain area where you can get taught. And the atmosphere is good for calling you into ministry and, and training and teaching you. And then he disperses you into other places. So. Uh, that's very common, too, with ministers and especially with prophets. So so we believe God for expansion of ministry, that the glory of God would increase in the earth, that we would always be vessels who are fit for the master's use and that we would prophesy. That is, declare the word of the Lord to a lost and dying generation. Amen. They need the word because that word is life. Amen. That word is health and it's hope and it's encouragement. So we are just encouraging one another and being encouraged that this will be a great conference. God will have his way. Uh, We will see signs and wonders following the preached word of God. Amen. Amen. And sons and daughters will prophesy and see their words come to pass. So this is going to be a great, uh, great time for us. I'm excited about what God's going to do. Amen. I could get excited about the food, but we have that every time. Amen. But God always can do something new and different and unique. So just ask God, you know, when you think about the conference, pray that God would have his way. Pray that there would be the power of God released in every vessel there. Uh, uh, I'm praying about doing the Friday morning workshop and uh, it'll be a time of impartation. I do know that much. So, well, we'll impart the glory of God. Amen. To believers. So if I decide to do it, I'll announce it on Thursday night that if anybody wants to receive the power of God for ministry, that they come in on Friday morning for that workshop. <clears throat> and that's what we'll, we'll turn it into an anointing service. Not like the ones we used to do where the power is real thick and all that. We'll do that again. So. We need it. Everybody needs it. People need it. Amen. Praise God. You got your offerings done. Lift them up to heaven. Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Father God, we thank you for blessing us to receive, to, to giving us the power to get wealth. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that that power resides in each and every believer. All of your children have the power to get wealth, whether they know it or not, whether they use it or not. It does reside within each and every one of us. 
Thank you to bless this offering, bless the givers with more to give, increase us, that we would have blessings following after us, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Thank you, Lord, for checks in our mailboxes this week. I thank you that we'll have a testimony that we got money from unexpected sources. Bring us new streams of income, new amounts of money, new, new, new. Not just what we expect, but open up different sources of, of revenue for us, different sources of income. We strengthen, we lengthen our cords and stretch our stakes out to expect more from you. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I just believe God's going to give somebody a, a unique idea in their business that's going to cause you to flourish. You're, you're going to see a bump or an increase in it. Something that you're doing that God is going to show you a better, more unique way to do it. And it's God's going to cause a surprise to you how much it's going to prosper you. Amen. So we receive that for whoever that's for. Amen. Praise God. You may receive the offering. Amen. <laughs>